Welcome today to the Carter Report and thanks for joining us. Today is the first of a series of amazing programs on Dark Deeds of Antichrist Revealed. These presentations are going to show you how the great apostate church where the blasphemous hand has torn out the fourth commandment. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Voices. Voices. Voices from civilizations long silent are crying out. What is the meaning of these strange symbols of divine prophecies? John Carter explains these mysteries as he takes the living word to audiences around the world. Join John Carter in this international ministry as he presents amazing truths from the astounding world of the prophets in The Carter Report. Now tonight we're going to talk on dark deeds of Antichrist revealed. Last night we talked about the identity of the Antichrist and tonight ladies and gentlemen we're going to talk about how the Antichrist has changed the law of God. We're going to show you how the Antichrist has influenced all of us and how his nefarious activities have influenced every Christian church and every country, every nation in the world. And before we talk about the Antichrist tonight and how he has interfered with the law of God, I want you to come with me to a great text. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10. In the large copy of the New International Version, it is page 232. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10. Ephesians 2 verse 8, let's go. For it is by, what does it say? It is by grace you have been saved. And, and through what method are we saved? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is what? It is the gift of God. And so we are saved by grace through what? Through faith. Are we saved by our works? No, no, no. You can't be saved by your works because your works are never good enough. The verse says, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's no good boasting about what you do because your works cannot save you. Now the next verse says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do something. What does it say? We are created in Christ Jesus to do what? The Bible says to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I want to come over here to the blackboard, and I want to put up three very important words, and if you can understand these words, which you are going to do tonight, you are going to understand how to get home to heaven. Now, the Bible says, and it makes it ever so plain, the Bible says, for by grace, you have been saved. That is the merit of our salvation. The merit is not found in humanity. The merit is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. You hear this? Let me say it again. The merit of our salvation, dear friends, dear citizens of Zimbabwe. Somebody pulled me up and said, don't keep calling them citizens of keep saying my African brothers and sisters, say my Zimbabwean brothers and sisters. So, so let me try it out. My Zimbabwean brothers and sisters, 
Is that all right? Okay. Now, I'll remember to do that. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through, come on, through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not by not by works, so that no one can boast. And then the verse goes on to say, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There's nothing wrong with good works. Let's talk a little bit about grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is the mercy of God. That's what grace is. We don't deserve to be saved. But the grace of God was shown when God the Father gave Jesus Christ. And when Jesus became a real man, and when he came down here to this earth and lived a perfect life, and then on the cross died for our sins, that was the grace of God, dear people. That was the grace of God. The Bible says we're not saved by being good enough because no one is good enough. We're saved because Jesus is good enough. We're saved because Jesus is good enough. We're saved by His grace. Let me tell you a story. Haven't got it in my notes. In fact, I haven't got any notes. This happened back in Armenia at the turn of the century. The Armenians were fighting the Turks. And in this bitter and bloody war, some Turkish officers came down to this Armenian farmhouse and they found there the father and the mother and three sons and three daughters. They took the father and the mother out in the, out in the snow and with, with the sons they shot them down in cold blood. The girls were given to the soldiers the oldest girl, who was a beautiful girl, was kept by the captain who blasted her virtue with his lust. And she hated him. But she had been brought up to believe in the love of God. And somehow she escaped one night and fled to a little British hospital and they trained her to be a nurse. And this hospital was looking after Armenian soldiers and Turkish soldiers. And one night this girl whose virtue had been blasted by that officer was walking down the ward holding the lantern high and as she walked as she walked all of a sudden the light from the lantern shone upon her face that was very familiar he was the man who'd killed her mother and her father the man who had killed her brothers the man who had blasted her virginity with his unbridled lust. And she knew that night because the doctor told her he was in a desperate state. 
It would not take violence to kill him, only inattention, only lack of care. And she later told the story how she battled with the temptation because everything in her soul said, kill him, kill him, seek vengeance, kill him, seek vengeance. But she nursed him back to health until the doctors marveled at her patience and care. And when the Turkish officer was fully recovered, the doctor brought the nurse to the, meat, to the beast and said, Sir, here is the girl who saved your life. And he went white. And when the doctor had left the room, he hissed at her, Why didn't you kill me? Why didn't you kill me? She said, Because violence cannot be cured by violence, and hatred cannot be cured by hatred. I am a follower of him who said, Love your enemies. And he said to her, he said, I'd like to know more of a religion that does that. I would like to know more of a Christ who can take hate out of a heart. I would like to know more of a Christ who can heal. And he became a Christian. Listen, do you want to know what Christianity really is? Christianity is not hating. Christianity is not seeking vengeance. Christianity is not killing. Christianity is loving those who hate you. You say to me, it doesn't work. Yes, it does work. Yes, it does work. And it's time that all of us in our homes, in our attitudes, wherever we live, whatever the color of our skins, it's time we gave the grace of God a chance to work in our lives, I tell you. You hear it? You say, I can't understand that sort of religion. That's because you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you had the Holy Spirit and if you knew Jesus, you'd understand it. You hear that? The reason people hate each other and the reason nations hate each other and the reason, can I say it, the reason that there is so hatred, so much hatred in the Middle East is because it is a war of vengeance, but the vengeance has to be broken somehow and only Jesus in a man's heart can break that vengeance. And the gospel I'm talking about tonight is not a mamby-pamby gospel. It is a red-blooded gospel. It is a gospel which is so transcendent, so powerful, so mighty, that it can take a man and it can change his heart. That's the gospel. That's the grace of God. You say, I couldn't treat an enemy like that. Well, that's how Jesus treated you. Nobody here deserves to go to heaven. None of us do. If you think you do, it's because you're self-righteous. Any man who thinks because of his works he ought to go to heaven is a Pharisee. That's what the Pharisees thought. They thought they could earn God by their goodness. And the Bible says all our righteousness is like filthy rags. It stinks in the nostrils of Almighty God. God. And so don't offer your righteousness to God because God won't accept it. We don't have anything to offer. The hymn writer said, Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross. 
I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, ere I die. That's not the gospel of the human heart because the human heart is basically selfish, violent, carnal, revengeful. But the Bible says God doesn't treat us like this. God saves us by grace. When I was a young fellow out of college, out of seminary, I was running a series of meetings. I was 21 years of age, and an old man came along. His name was uh, Mr. Reg Pride, pride by name, pride by nature. He was about 78. His wife was a f two or three years younger, and they were planning divorce. They'd fought for 50 years, and they were about to fight it out in the divorce court. And I sat down one day and I said to Mr. Pride, we are saved by grace. You've got to learn grace. He said, I don't believe in grace. I believe in treating people as they treat me. He said, I believe in justice. I said to him, you be thankful that God doesn't treat you with justice or else you'd go to hell. Because that's what he deserved. But that old man heard the story of the cross that Jan sings about so much. And when he saw the cross and saw Jesus dying for our sins, you know what Jesus said to his tormentors when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Do you know what Jesus said to the Romans? Do you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Do you know what Jesus said to his enemies? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus said. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That's what God says to us. He says, Father, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. Father, forgive them. So we're saved by grace. And you accept it by faith. Faith is the spiritual dynamic that God gives to a human soul whereby he can reach out the trembling hand of faith and accept the great riches of eternity. You may say, I haven't got much faith, John Carter. You don't need much. You don't need much. The fact that you're here tonight shows that you've got a bit. Maybe a man sitting here tonight, like my father, who said, I don't have much faith. I can't believe. I said, Dad, use the little bit you've got. It doesn't depend upon the size of your faith. It depends upon the greatness of the grace of God. And the grace of God is big enough to cover every sin. It is big enough to solve every problem. It is big enough, my friend, to take the hate out of our hearts. It is big enough to make every home a little paradise on earth. It is big enough to solve any problem. It is the grace of God that we need. And the Bible says we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. But it says we're not saved by our works because we can never work our way to heaven. We can never earn salvation. We can't do it through penance. We can't do it through prayers. We can't do it by what we want to do. We can't do it by good works. Because after you've done all the good works, your good works are not good enough. The person says, I really don't like that. You know... Who's saying that to you? 
the old Pharisee who lives inside our hearts. We're all born with a Pharisee who lives inside us and who says, I am good enough. Jesus tells us that his goodness is big enough to cover all of our stupid blunders and our foolish mistakes. So we're saved by grace. I want to make that plain tonight. Not saved by keeping the law, folk. You hear that? I want to make it pretty plain. You don't get to heaven by your efforts to keep the law. You don't get to heaven by living a moral, righteous life. We get to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ, who on the cross made a perfect atonement for our sins, and we accept it by the act of faith. But the text doesn't finish there. My Zimbabwean brothers and sisters, the text doesn't end there. It says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what does it say? To do good works. Listen to this because a lot of you here tonight may have this a little wrong. You're listening to this. While I can never be saved by works. The evidence that I am saved is good works. You get the difference? The fruitage of faith is always seen in keeping the commandments of God. When a person has experienced the grace of God, he will want to keep all of the commandments of God. That's very important. Now I'm going to give you a text, which is very important that you see this. Would you please come over here to Revelation 12, verse 17, page 306, and this talks about God's church, described as a woman. We told you last night that in Bible prophecy, a woman represents the church, and we all saw that. We all agreed to that. Then the dragon, that's the devil, was enraged at the woman. What's the woman, folks? That's the church. You all know that, don't you? The devil was enraged at the church and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who, say it please, those who what? Obey God's commandments and hold to what? The testimony of Jesus. Listen, folk, that makes it very, very plain tonight. The Bible tells me that while I am saved by the marvelous grace of God alone, the grace that saves me leads me to good works. And the, and the good works are mentioned here. The Bible talks. Uh, what, I, I've run out of room, so I'll put this 
There you are, the two tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. That'll, that'll do there. The Bible tells me that when I'm saved by grace, the love of Jesus comes into my heart with such overwhelming power and conviction that my life is turned upside down and I want to follow Jesus. I want to obey Jesus. I want to keep his commandments and I just love his law and I, do what, I want to do what he wants me to do. That's what it's all about. Now, can you see that? This is pretty important. You know why it's important? Because after this meeting, after I tell the people how the Antichrist has changed the commandments of God, somebody will come along and they'll say, don't you know that we're saved by grace and we don't need to keep the commandments? That's what they'll come along and say. Folk, that isn't so. That is a sinister perversion, Lester, of the gospel. You see, while I am saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works, obedience to the law. Very important. Wanted to establish that? Now, what we're going to do now that we've cleared this up, the relationship between grace Faith, good works, the commandments, and the law of God, I'm going to show you how the great antichrist deception has with a blasphemous, presumptuous finger tampered with the holy law of God that we all ought to be keeping. So please, come over here with me to Daniel chapter 7. Over here, dear people, Daniel chapter 7. What we're going to do, we're going to have a very, very rapid revision of what we went through in that great meeting last night. Daniel chapter 7. Now, if you weren't here last night, you're going to find this hard going. We had hundreds of cassettes of the meeting last night. They're all sold and gone. We're going to get some more tomorrow. But we're running out of cassettes. Daniel chapter 7. Now verse 2, here we go, dear hearts and gentle people. Verse 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now please notice verse 4. The first was like a lion, had the wings of an eagle, and in Bible prophecy, what does a beast represent? Come on, let's go for it. A beast represents what, dear folks? A king or a kingdom. Right, you, you're perfectly correct. And the first great power here is the line with wings. And everybody here knows that this represents what? Babylon, Babylon the mighty. Now verse 5, And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side, three ribs in its mouth. Uh, it was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After the power of Babylon came the power of, come on, Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia. Now, verse, let me ask you this. Is, is everybody convinced about this? Now, folk, <laughs> you're, you're almost too good to be true. You're such a good audience. From last night, let me see the hands of the people here who were convinced about what they heard. Put up your hands. Put them up high. Would you wave them to me to give me confidence and courage to keep going? Okay. Okay. Now, look at um, 
Verse 6, after that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard on its back. It had four wings like those of a bird. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, the Greece of Alexander the Great. Now, come down to the next one. Verse 7, after that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast. This one would hardly win... Uh, a competition for good looks, a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Um, I'm sure you folk here have heard of Dr. George Washington Carver. Heard of him? The famous black scientist who lived in the United States. Man who was brought up in incredible poverty, who suffered racism, who uh, couldn't get admitted to a university, finally got admitted to a university and became one of the greatest scientists of the 20th century, this famous black man, Washington Carver. On one occasion, he was carrying out a series of lectures in the university, and uh, some of the students thought they'd catch him out and play a, a prank on him. So they got the body of a grasshopper or something like that, and the wings of a bee and the legs of something else and they made this conglomeration made up of all of these different creatures and they brought this thing in and they put it down on the table in front of doctor uh, where he would come in and see it and when he came into the classroom he looked down never said a thing just went straight on talking about uh, I think the peanut he was the great scientist on the peanut and he went on on his dissertation his scientific dissertation just ignored this thing on the table and the students in the class couldn't take it much longer and they're all you know on on the edges of their seats wondering what dr carver was going to say about this thing and in the end one of the boys put up his hand and he said uh, please dr carver uh, what sort of bug is that on your desk dr carver said that my boy is a humbug <laughs> now <laughs> this beast here folk is a little bit like Dr. George Washington Carver's humbug. He's made up of lots and lots of pieces. The Bible says, a fourth beast terrifying and frightening, very powerful, large iron teeth crushed and devoured its victims, trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and this is the iron monarchy of... Rome, the great iron monarchy of the Caesars.